Hi everyone, and welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk horses. T.J. Cliburn joins us on today's show. I received an email from listener Mercedes Tucker, who told me how much T.J. helped her with her Mustang Bud. She said he was a good guy, knew his stuff, and thought he'd make a great guest. She was right. T.J. has been working with horses for 40 years. He lives in Wisconsin, and his business is called A True Partnership. In 2009, he teamed up with the Mustang Heritage Foundation, and since then has competed in 15 extreme Mustang makeover training challenges. He has trained 13 top 10 finalists, one reserve champion, and one grand champion. He has also trained champions in disciplines of jumping, cutting, and western pleasure. I caught up with TJ right after he finished with his horses on a snowy morning at his ranch in Deerfield. Sometimes you can get a feel for a trainer by how easy and comfortable they are to talk to. TJ is one of those people, generous with both his time and his knowledge. Listen in to TJ Cliburn on the Woe Podcast. From his ranch in Deerfield, Wisconsin, welcome TJ Cliburn to the show. Good morning, TJ. How you doing? Good morning, Mighty. I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. After I got Mercedes' email, I did a little bit of research on you, and uh, and you're not from around these parts, are you? Oh, a little bit further south, mate. They say, but no, I've been over here about 30 years from Australia. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I just took out my U.S. citizenship. So I just passed my test last week. Yeah. So I'm pretty proud of doing it. How did you manage to come over to the United States 30 years ago? Well, this is the home of the cowboy and the horse trainers and everything else. And I just wanted to prove that I could match it with the best of them, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, so I decided I'd leave Australia and just come and give it a go. And like most Australians, we tend to throw everything into the one pot and away we go. <laughs> I don't think... Uh, we think about it that much. We just decide that we're going to do it, and here I was. And uh, I've uh, managed to uh, stay here 30 years and love the place, and I, I love what I do with a passion. And uh, I just I just made this home, you know. And what were you doing in Australia? Oh, mate, I had a real job. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I um, work for a company called Maine Nicholas. They're a security firm in Australia, uh-huh. and uh, we do banks and things like that, security work and everything with the banks and uh, foreign dignitaries. And and had you grown up with horses? Uh, my granddad um, and uncles did on my mum's side, and they taught me how to ride, and that when I was a young fella. I suppose I didn't really get my first horse until I was about, oh, seven or eight year old. My grandfather came home with one in the back seat of the car. It was a little pony called Trixie. And uh, that's how I started. My granddad taught me. Was he quite a horseman then? Well, they say he was. You know, I didn't get to know him that well. Uh, I wish I had it done, you know, but... 
oh, I suppose I was about 14 and a half when he passed away. But he taught me everything new. And uh, every time I come up with a problem, I just go back to what he taught me and it seems to work. I don't really follow anyone. You know, we all tend to go and see as many as clinicians as we possibly can. Right. Sometimes you'll pick up something that you add to your toolbox, I call it, and uh, that might come in handy later on. Sometimes you work out what you would never do, you know, by watching somebody. But I've sort of tended to do my own thing, and it seems to work for me, and it's something I brought up within Australia. It's called the Jeffries Method of Training Uh by a man called Kel Jeffries. It seems to work on just about every horse I've ever tried it on. So I sort of stick to my own way. That's the technique where you kind of crawl all over the horse? Is that good? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's it. It's, a, it's an old technique that's been around for a lot of years. And when I went and saw it, as my grandfather took me as a kid, and I think Kel was about in his 70s then when I saw him. I watched him start a horse that was just run straight in out of the bush and it was a five-year-old and like he never had a problem with the horse and he was sitting on a bareback within about 15 minutes. And I said, wow. one day I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I sort of followed that sort of technique a little bit uh-huh. and added a few things I've learned over the years and come up with my own and uh, my business is called True Partnership and that's what I want with my horse, a true partnership with my horse. Now, that Jeffrey method, the main tenant is crawling all over the horse. But are there some other side little tenants there that, that go along with it? Yeah, there's a, he used a rope around the neck and give and retreat method. Uh-huh. And I think there's a lot of people uh, know that method now. Um, like when he pulled and the horse actually give a little bit of a movement, he'd, he'd release, you know? So every time the horse give him something, he was giving the horse back tenfold. And I think that if he can do that, the horse learns a lot quicker. If a horse could learn 1% a day, we'd have a hundred percent horse in a hundred days. We all know that's impossible, <laughs> you know? We all know they got little quirks that we just never never get in that shorter time period. Yeah. And so then you came over to the United States. Did you Were you just working with horses or did you get into yeah, I, starting colts right away? Well, I came over here and some people in California, Northern California, up at a place called Pilot Hill in California, uh, Bill and Margot Farrelly. Uh, Bill was a very good AQHA judge, and they had me out at their ranch and uh, asked me to bake some colts for them. And I said, yeah, I'd do that. And I ended up staying there about three and a half months breaking colts for them. People in the district kept coming around and seeing what I could do, and next thing I had a business. <laughs> you know, it was, just, it was just that quick. It happened that quick, you know. it. And then I flew back to Australia because I only came here for six months at first because that's all we could get a visa for, you know. And uh, I went home and uh, I was only home about six or eight weeks and 
people just kept emailing me to come back. Well, when was I coming back? So I decided to come back and really start a business over here. I sort of hasn't looked back, you know, from from that stage on. I was training horses or doing something with horses over here. You know, I've never really done anything else over here except horses. It looks like it that somewhere around uh, 2009 or so you started to participate in the Mustang Challenges. Oh, yeah, that was in 2008 I did my first horse. I called him Mick Dundee. He was uh, <laughs> about 16 hands high. and um, That year there was 300 horses in it, and he finished 21st, and I only took 20 to the final. Wow. So I missed the final that year by half a point. But he was the second top horse sold the next day. But he was he got me hooked on Mustangs. Uh, my next year I, I did a little horse call, I called Choke, who I still have here in the pasture today. Wow. Uh, she got the name Choke because uh, the night I brought her home, I unloaded her in the barn and ran her into a stall. And I had three on that year. And by the time I got the last one in the stall, I could hear this coughing and everything. And I thought, oh, no, I brought home a sick horse. Ugh. So I raced back up the highway and, oh, there was green stuff all over the stall. And there was foam coming out of her mouth and nostrils and she had ate the shavings pellets in the stall. <laughs> the girl had forgot to soak them and some had lied. They'd only lodged near esophagus, thank goodness. So I'd call my vet and he said, well, I haven't got a dart gun and you haven't even got a halter on her yet. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do. She's probably going to die. I said, no, she's not going to die. going to try and do something. And she allowed me to sneak in the stall through hacks and coughs and everything else. And she eventually let me touch her on the jaw. And I started rubbing her there. And then I started palpating her throat. And it probably only took 20 seconds. You know, it felt like a lifetime. Right. And then she coughed him out. She was still pretty sick. And I promised her that night if she was still alive the next day she'd have a home for life and uh like i say she's still with me today wow and uh she finished up fifth in the competition that year and she led it for two days and i blew it in the final i tried to do something that i shouldn't have done and i lost points for it and so it wasn't her fault it was mine and uh I think as humans, we do that, but we tend to try to get something that's not there right away, you know? Right, right. We've got a little bit, we ask for a little bit more. So you've been starting cults a lot. Do you have in your mind what the most difficult cult you ever started was? What were the problems with him? Oh. And were you able to overcome them? Yeah, I had a horse, it came from a racetrack, a uh, racehorse. They paid $140,000 for him as a yearling. They sent him to me when he was about 18 or 19 months old to break in. It was a mare, actually, Philly. I got it going, and uh, the first day, she bucked me off 13 times. And I called a big buddy of mine over. This happened in Australia, and I called him over, and I said, Mark, I said, this horse is just 
mucking me off every time. And he said, what are you doing? You know, you can ride. And I said, I just can't ride this horse. I don't know why. He said, oh, I'll be right over and got on her. And next thing you know, I was taking him up to the hospital. She threw him into the top rail of the fence and put 14 stitches in his chin. So she was a horse we ponied for probably three months. Every time let her off a pony horse, she'd go to bucking. We eventually got a breakthrough about the fourth or fifth month I had her, and the owner said, well, she's got to get to the track. You know, I've got to get her started. And I said, well, you tell them boys to be careful. And uh, they took her to the track, and they used a pony horse all the time. Um, and ponied her around and kept that pony horse right beside her. And they eventually got a racing. She won 14 races in her first 14 starts and never carried a jockey the full length of the race. Oh, my God. <laughs> she bucked him off somewhere. <laughs> so he brought her back to me when she was a four-year-old and said, I need to sell her. And so we sold her and... Uh, to a bucket horse guy. He was a rodeo contractor, and uh, she she was named Ball of Fire, and I think she was about three or four times bucket horse of the year, and she bred little bucket horses after that. Wow. She was just put out with a bucket horse. But she was the only horse I would say was born to buck that I ever had. There was just something about her. You know, you couldn't really trust her 100%. I've done about 6,000 head of colts to date, and she has been the one colt that I wished I could do again uh-huh. and do a different way. I think 30 years down the road, I've learned a lot that I maybe could have saved that horse from being what it was. Yeah. I think as we get older, we get a little bit more experienced in what we do, and maybe we could help that horse a little bit better. Right, right. And so speaking of that, so that was fairly early on in your career, and that was a horse that you you had a real tough time with. What about the horse that you've trained that you just maybe thought, oh, I'm still in these people money training. This horse is too darn easy. Did you ever have one of those? Oh, yeah, I've had many of those. To myself, I think, uh, why couldn't this person do that horse? You know, it was that easy. Mm-hmm. I had an incident in Indiana a long time ago, and uh, a lady dropped off a horse, and she said, I'd like to see this horse get started before before I go home. And I said, well, we were just going to break for lunch. and uh, But anyway, I'll run it into the round pen and see what we can do. And my round pen down there was eight foot high, and it had a walkway all the way around it so people could get up there and watch what I did, you know. Uh-huh. I had a good mate, Tim Guy, and he said, you got 15 minutes. We're going to lunch without you if you're not done in 15 <laughs> minutes. I said, there's nothing like putting the pressure on me, you know. But that horse was that easy. I had the horse walk, trot, lope, stop, back up in 13 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Under saddle. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, that horse was so easy to do. That owner had done everything right by that horse. 
she had it halter broke really, really well before she brought it there. And all her groundwork had been in preparing that horse for what I was going to do that day. Right. Uh, even though she didn't know it, she'd done a fantastic job on that horse. So yeah, those horses are really easy to get, you know, but I've had horses with really good minds that have never been touched. And within an hour I've been riding them. I think it just depends on you reading the horse right. Right. I find that a lot of people can't read that horse or don't read that horse. You know, the slightest signal that horse gives you, you've got to be aware of it. And if you're talking or not concentrating, you're going to miss it. And I've talked to a lot of trainers, and I I think that's the advantage. Uh, I mean, on our show, I, I started the show because I'm a recreational rider and I wanted to learn more. But, you know, I've got basically one horse that I ride all the time, one horse that I see all the time, one horse that I train all the time. And and it's pretty hard to learn how to read a horse when you just have one horse. It'd be like reading the same book over and over again and wondering why your vocabulary never got any larger. Well, you, you've only learned the words in that one single book. And I... Exactly. I wish exactly. there was a way that, that uh, people could learn to read horses better. And there's only one way to do that. And... Uh, it's, it's either sharing horses, uh, you know, Lord knows most recreational riders don't share their horses and they're not going to be training other people's horses. Do you have any suggestions on, on how the average recreational rider might improve the way they read a horse? I don't think there is a way without playing with many horses. You know, I think you get so comfortable with your own horse. Mm-hmm. and you know it so well that I don't think there's a way that you, without playing with any other horses, that you can do that because it's a timing, feel, and balancing to me, you know. Mm. You've got to read that horse and set your timing and feel for what that horse is doing, and then you can uh, get it right. But if you just got the same horse all the time, all you're going to learn is what that horse teaches you. Right. Good point. Like here, I've got eight horses in my pasture. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you eight different personalities, those horses, just from watching them play in the pasture. Right. But if you've only got one horse in your pasture, that's the only personality you can see. I think you can learn it, but you've got to go play with more horses. Because you do clinics and you've been training and helping people for such a long time, is there one tenant that you try to instill in all your students that this is either an important exercise or an important concept or some tip that we can give our listeners to, to help them with their horsemanship? I, I always say this. You are going to play with a thousand pound animal that can kill you. Get that through your head first Uh and foremost because people go to sleep around horses and 90% of accidents in the world with a horse happen with my quiet horse. 
There's only about 10% happen with the wild horse because people have got lackadaisy with their own horse. Now, people get hurt because they get stepped on or they get bit or they get kicked or, and it's usually with their own horse. It's not with anybody else's, it's with their own. They haven't really been awake when they've been playing with that horse. You know, I've seen trail riders going down the trail at times and I think they are not concentrating on their horse one little bit. They're all out there just for a good time, you know, or drinking a beer or, you know, they're not concentrating on their horse. So next thing you know, a deer jumps out, the horse goes sideways, the rider goes on the ground, gets hurt because they weren't watching their horse. Their horse would have told them that deer was over there. Long before we can ever see it, that horse knows through smells, through its senses, through its hearing, they know what's going on around there. Yeah. That's a good point. I think you're right. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't respect the size and strength that a horse possesses and the quickness and that a, a situation can go from calm to crazy and uh, how fast that can Right. Yeah, and it can happen that quick. It can happen that quick. And I think that's where people get into trouble. Say a horse bucks. Most people will be thrown off in the first two or three. Right. Because they weren't prepared for it to begin with. And when a horse goes bucking, they go to stiffening up. Instead of staying loose like a saddlebunk rider or something like that, you know, see cowboys, they stay loose in the saddle. There's no stiffness about their body. Most people, as soon as something happens, tense up. They get this tension in their body. Well, that tension then goes straight to that horse's feet. The main thing I tell my students or people that come to my clinic is to relax, but be aware. Always be aware of your surroundings at all times. Very good. You know, it could just... It could just be the dog running out of the barn. It could be a piece of paper blowing across the trail. Uh, we never know what's going to set them off. Right. So be aware. You might go through your own life 20 years riding the same horse and not have one accident. But there is a time somewhere out there that it, something's going to happen. Very good. So you go across the country doing clinics. Do you have anything uh, scheduled this year, or where can people find out more about TJ? They can go to my Facebook page or my website and look at those. I'll be posting clinic schedules there very shortly because we're in the middle of winter now, so I don't usually put them up till about March or April mm -hmm. uh, when the snow gets out of here, but I'll do uh, a lot of clinics around the country. Uh, I know I have some in Michigan this year, and I do a lot of trail clinics here at the house. I have an obstacle course set up in my pasture right. uh, with swinging bridges and rolling bridges and different sorts of obstacles. And I don't know whether you've ever seen the mountain trail course in Oregon, that indoor course they built up there at the Oregon Horse Park. Yes, I did. I've seen the videos of that. They're going to do the first one this side of the Mississippi at our horse fair in April. As soon as the rodeo's finished on the Saturday night, 
they're coming in and tearing everything down and building that course in the Coliseum. Oh, wow. For us to compete at 8 o'clock the next morning, we start. I don't think half the people that entered know what they're in for. <laughs> because I've been posting stuff on my Facebook page of stuff I've built getting ready for that. And as soon as the weather breaks, I'm going to stick it out in my pasture. And there's so many people want to come because they're in the contest and they've never ever done this with their horse. Yeah. You know, the swinging bridge is only 42 inches wide and you've got to go to the middle of it, then do a 360 turn in the middle of that bridge before you go off. Oh, wow. Are you competing in this? All right. Are you training? Yeah, yeah. I got in. No, I'm competing in it. Oh, great. So I'm in the open, and then I'm in the gambler's choice, where they, in the gambler's choice, you get two minutes to do as many obstacles as you can. Each obstacle's worth points, so you've got to pick the obstacles that are worth the most points and do them in two minutes. So it's really, uh, you've got to canter between obstacles and get to them really fast and so that, that'll be a lot of fun. Oh, that'll be a lot of fun to get with Joyce Class. Oh, cool. Okay, well, I'll put yeah. this up in the show notes for your both your Facebook page and your website so people can learn more about your clinic. Please do, yes. Okay. I've also got my own line of saddles, so they can see those online too. And uh, we're starting to make an Australian saddle-type saddle over here. We're having some good results with some saddles that are coming out. I did see some photos of those saddles. They are some very handsomely made saddles. And they're pretty practical. You won't see any horns on them <laughs> because I think most people get into trouble with a horn. Uh-huh. The first thing something goes wrong, they grab that horn. Right. When you grab a horn, it pulls you forward in the saddle. Most people don't grab a horn and push back which keeps them down in the saddle. They pull forward on that horn. And a lot of times people get thrown off over their head because they pull on the saddle horn. Uh, With mine, they have, we call them knee pads or thigh pads in the front, which keep you locked into the saddle so you don't go forward. Yeah, It's a very good design. I think, you know, we're tweaking a few things, but... The ones I've got now are, are really doing well. Sounds good. Well, this has been great fun, TJ. Is there uh, anything else you'd like to to add? I'd just like to say that, you know, everybody enjoy their horse. Everybody enjoy it. You know, life's a journey and your horsemanship's a journey too. If you stop learning in your horsemanship, you'll have a mind that is just that horse or whatever you did, but keep learning throughout your life because that's what I tried to do. I tried to learn something every day and to leave my horses a little bit better at the end of a ride than they were at the start of a ride. I go to New York every year and do about 30 warm blood horses up there at one farm. And uh, we started a program there about eight years ago and those horses that we started then and gone on and won Grand Prix in Europe right now. So without a good start, and those horses, I play with the babies, yearlings, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and then they turned out after a month and 
nobody touches them till I get back there the next year. And this program really excelled over that time. That's awesome. Once you have something that works, keep it. If it doesn't work, throw it away. Throw it away. Well, that's a great philosophy, both that and the enjoy your horses part. And I really thank you for being on the Woe Podcast and sharing some of your time with us. It's It's been great fun. Thank you very much for having me, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you, TJ. Bye-bye. I want to thank Total Saddle Fit for sponsoring the Woe Podcast. Total Saddle Fit makes the shoulder relief cinch. With its unique shape and contours, the shoulder relief cinch redirects the latigos of the saddle to improve your horse's range of motion in his shoulders. The shoulder relief cinch is robustly padded with cutaways in the places where your horse needs it most. Total Saddle Fit wants you to try this innovative new take on the cinch by offering free worldwide shipping. Try it for 30 days, risk-free. I've got one I use on my quarter horse mare Jessie and my Mustang Scratch. And I really like the look and feel of the Total Relief Cinch. Over 10,000 riders rely on the shoulder relief cinch. Find your perfect size, color, and material at totalsaddlefit.com and tell them you heard about it on the Woe Podcast. That will do it for this episode. Check out TJ's website for dates and times of clinics and appearances in your area. It's early in the year. You may even want to give him a call and organize a group clinic where you live. He answers his own phone. I think that's pretty cool. You can also find TJ on Facebook. And thanks again to Mercedes Tucker for taking the time to email me about TJ. I think that's pretty cool, too. If you have a story to tell or an idea for a podcast, send an email to john at woepodcast.com. I answer every one. You can find all the episodes of Woe Podcast at woepodcast.com. Click subscribe on any podcast catcher like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and new episodes will automatically appear on your device. It's magical. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Podcast, and we'd love to connect with you there. Post some photos of you and your horse. We'd love to see them. You are a big part of this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.